is is voorsteert die nieuwe, wie, deel la France, ja en talentieren en Mike Herwold, en het is weer extreem, schoen Dutch. Welcome, welcome to Box 39 here on Gome Radio. And this is your hour of community, conversation, music, humour, and uh, my guest presenter's legs fully on show today because it's very hot in the studio. We're wearing shorts because it's our 50th show. Yes, we made it to 50. And uh, with me, those presenters with those legs. First of all, we've got Ian Talentar in front of me. Hello, Ian. Good evening, everybody. It's nice to be so warm. It is, isn't it? It's gorgeous in this. Uh, I think it's the new heating system in this building. It's wonderful. Where's the champagne? And to my left, Mike. It's Mike Harwood. Hello, uh, Mike. Hello, yes. It's uh, no socks for me tonight. Well, nothing new there. But uh, anyway, it's lovely to have everyone with us. 50 not out. But I'm afraid not here is Ausgang Exit. They have not arrived in the studio yet. I uh, just got a text there from Brenda, the uh, part-time percussionist, part-time trombonist. Uh, she's got a puncture in her rear left tyre on her tricycle. And the band, well, they've got this sort of strictly leave-no-one-behind policy, which is, I think, that's fair enough, isn't it, Jen? So, you know, one for all, an awful one. So the convoy of tricycles and bicycles uh, are currently holding a, uh, they're currently a sort of holding pattern at Shrub End, while friend of the show, Mango Dread, is helping them out with their puncture. So in their place tonight, uh, I'm going to be playing some demo tapes that we've got here from Wilhelm and the Orange Men from Rotterdam. Uh, and that fits in, actually rather nicely with our theme for tonight's show because for our 50th show tonight we're going Dutch yes we are tonight we are going Dutch and we will start with a quick fire quiz round if that's okay fellas the topic is the theme of this show the Netherlands I warned you about this so I hope you've prepared have you prepared Mike I certainly did Bill oh yes Yes, so here we go I'll keep score Bill was the kingdom of the Netherlands established on the 16th of March, 1815? Yes, it was. Correct. Mike, is the government of the Netherlands a unitary parliamentary constitutional monarchy? That's a yes. Excellent. Bill, is the population of the Netherlands 17,424,978 or thereabouts? Uh, yes, it is. Correct. Mike, does the Netherlands per capita GDP of $53,016 make it the 13th richest country in the world? Yes. Correct. Bill, are the Netherlands a bit smaller than Denmark? Yes, they are. Correct. Mike, are the Netherlands a bit bigger than Switzerland? They are indeed. Correct. Bill, are 51% of the Netherlands' population non-religious? They are, yes. Correct. Mike, are the Netherlands divided into 12 provinces? That's another yes. Correct. Bill, were Ruud van Nistelrooy and Robin van Persie from the Netherlands? Yes, they were. Correct. Mike, is the distance from the centre of Amsterdam to the centre of Rotterdam exactly 35.75 miles? Yes, exactly. Fantastic. Oh, no. You're incorrect. Sorry, Mike. The distance from the centre of Amsterdam to the centre of Rotterdam is exactly 35.85 miles, not 0.75. So I'm very sorry, but the end of the quickfire quiz is five points to Bill, four points to Mike. Well done, Bill. Well, very unlucky, Mike. De wel brengen, ruim anderhalf uur. Door regen en door wind, maar liefst één hand aan het stuur. Met nog één hand op haar dijen, want zo ver mocht die al gaan. En er is hier niet eens wifi, maar elk bericht kon daar. Want hij was smoorverliefd op haar. This is a song by Snell and it's a hit in the Dutch charts in February 2020. 
I won't try to say its Dutch title, but it means don't just sit there with your mouth full of teeth, which basically means say something. He met her on a blind date, and he feels like he bought a cat in a bag. To make things worse, it's raining telegraph wires. He doesn't beat around the bush, and so he falls with the door into the house, and then the monkey came out of the sleeve. She'd spent some time hunched over the toilet glasses, and she'd got peanut cheese on her nail pants. Now she was grasping for a donkey's bridge. It's a very idiomatic language, Dutch, and it does lose something in translation. You're listening to Box 39 here on Corn Radio 106.6 FM, and this week we are going Dutch. So you are listening to Van der Volk theme by Wilhelm and the Orange Men. Uh, still waiting for news from Ausgang Exit. Now, guys, if I was to say the word Dutch, what would your instant word associations be? Double. Courage. Well, I was thinking close to the home. Come on, try again. Uh, I love being wrong when I'm right. I do as well, Mike. Yeah. Right, come on. Great come game. On. Guys, yeah. play what Dutch. What's, what's your word associations, Mike? Uh, quarter. Oh, Ian. Lane. Uh, Mike? Manchester? Mike? Manchester? Uh, let's stick with Colchester and its new Dutch quarter then, shall we? That's what my association is. Ian. Yeah, I was going for Lane. Uh, all right, well, look. Uh, the Dutch quarter is an area of Colchester rich in history. Not only containing many timber-framed houses, some dating back to the 1380s, but it's a Roman theatre there, and there's a church. Just uh, one interruption, Bill. Where did these uh, Dutch come from? They came from Holland. Ah, oh, but its proper name is the Netherlands. Well, actually, it is a very good question. The Dutch were not all from the Netherlands, and it's believed that the term Dutch was used to describe all foreigners who arrived in the 1500s. Those that ended up in the Colchester also come from Belgium and France, predominantly Flemish. And as such, there were low country Protestants fleeing religious persecution, persecution, I beg pardon, after being defeated in a rebellion against Catholic Spain. Uh, can I interrupt with a sensible question? Well, I was in full historical flow, but I want to hear your question. Sorry about that. No, I want to hear your question. Okay. What did they bring to the area that allowed them to survive economically? I mean have an area named after them and become integrated into local society? Well, uh, three questions there, but let's give it a go then. So the area that the Dutch settled in, that's to the north of the High Street, you with me, just to the north there? Yep. Uh, had historically been the Jewish culture of Colchester. Uh, so economic survival was down to the cloth-making skills they brought with them, producing what was described as a superior lightweight cloth of the best quality and in much, uh, much greater quantity than made by the local English clothiers. So... They were good at what they did. They made good, uh, good yeah. cloth. So, yeah, you've answered Ian's question. I've got another. Go on. What impact did this have locally? Uh, well, you see, it was Colchester was always seen as a safe place, safe haven for the Dutch, uh, and so more and more Dutch people came over here, uh, and they 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 bought more, built new dwellings in a proportionate sort of increase all Flemish style and they lovely sort of pale green rendered walls and uh, they used to paint the woodwork red or green um, and, it, and it changed farming as well you see because uh, if you make lots of cloth you need uh, the raw material and that's going to be wool isn't it 
So uh, you said need more sheep. So more sheep farmers, more sheep. There's no yomba, more yields of wool, and and the wool you know made them a lot of money. So prosperity, not just in Colchester, surrounding villages and towns. Uh, you get an idea of that. Look at the churches. You, Mike, you, you've seen lots of churches yeah. around here, haven't you? And you can see how much wealth there was. So so, so everyone said, well, these are great refugees. We welcome refugees. They you know make the country prosperous. A lesson we could all learn today. Absolutely. So, answer me this one then, Bill. When was the term Dutch Quarter first used? Well, you know, it wasn't used. <laughs> Everyone thinks it goes back hundreds of years, but it wasn't used in the 16th or the 17th or the 18th or the 19th centuries, no. It was... Uh, really? Yeah, right up to the 1930s, that part of Colchester was just called the North the North part, North Colchester. And uh, that was sort of from uh, the High Street all the way down the hill to North Bridge. And... Uh, we only see references to the Dutch Quarter sort of after the 20th century stance, maybe, but um, even not until after the Second World War did they formally adopt Dutch Quarter. Uh-huh, OK, but um, when you asked the second time what we'd link with the word Dutch, Ian, mm. and, yeah, Ian said lame. Yeah. And you commented that his answer was a little left. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, but be, be, Can you explain that? Well, yeah, <laughs> because uh, at that time... The joining of Dutch and Lane uh, in terms of Colchester is, is, is a good choice. But it's just check, uh, Miss Tanzai, do you really know? Or have you just been, <laughs> you been silly? You always doubt whether I really know. There was yeah. at one point a track or a road that ran from Northbridge along the south bank of the River Cone, known as Dutch Lane. Um, now, the river's changed its course very slightly, uh, but it probably now closely replicates the line of Northgate Street. Oh, right. OK. Well, that's terrific. But enough of this. Uh, with Adrian's help down there in the, uh, the uh, music uh, library, let's listen to more, some more Dutch pop music that's top of the charts over there uh, right now, even as we speak. Hier alleen in de trein en ze duikt in haar jas en kijkt uit het raam en ze vraagt zich af hoe zou het voelen jezelf te zijn? Want soms doet het pijn als ze huilt, maar ze lacht. Ze huilt, maar ze lacht. Ze loopt door een wereld die niet aardig voelt, onbedoeld, zegt ze dingen die iedereen altijd zegt. Want nooit gaat het slecht, altijd oké, okay. en ze lult met ze mee. En ze lacht, ze huilt maar ze lacht. En nu, ze laat het los. En nu, ze laat het los. This is a song by Man and tops the charts in the Netherlands in February 2020. The title translates as Did You Fall Down the Stairs? This is a Dutch expression, a question one might ask someone if they have had a rather drastic haircut. But her boyfriend has something under his knee. His haircut is to impress his future clean mother and that was why he watered her flowers with the garden snake. He worked so hard, he ended up walking on his gums. His girlfriend's mum spoke to him, but in West Frisian and not Dutch. His wooden shoes were breaking. He couldn't make any chocolate from that and looked crestfallen. He thought to himself, what have I got hanging on my bike now? His girlfriend told him to get a fresh nose. I have to admit, it, it does lose something in the translation. Dutch is a language that's spoken mainly in Europe, but also in a few other places around the world. 
It has 23 million native speakers and around 28 million speakers in total, including second language speakers. It is most widely spoken in the Netherlands, where it has around 16 million native speakers. It is also spoken by around 60% of the population of Belgium, mostly in the northern region of Flanders. That's around 6.5 million people. It's also spoken by a small number of people across the border in French Flanders, which lies adjacent to Belgium. But only around 20,000 people there still speak it on a regular basis. It is also spoken in the South American nation of Suriname, the island of Aruba, in Curaçao, and in Saint Martin. There is also Afrikaans, a language spoken in South Africa and Namibia, which is a daughter language of Dutch and is mutually intelligible to some extent. Do all the Dutch people speak English very well? I think research says that 85% of the Dutch consider themselves to be functionable in the language. But how many Dutch people speak English very well? That's actually not so many. I think that most people think that the Dutch are very good at English because those people they see, those Dutch people they meet on their travels or when they come to Amsterdam and they speak to the people in the hotels or in the restaurants, um, I think those people speak pretty good English because they are used to it, they are used to deal with tourists. But once you come to the Netherlands and you get a little bit off the beaten track, then you will actually find out that the Dutch are not that good at English. They can hold conversation, at least the younger generation. The older generation might not be able to speak it at all, but even the younger generation, when they really have to hold a conversation with a native speaker or about a difficult topic or about work, you will find out that they don't feel really comfortable and um, they still prefer speaking Dutch. You're listening to Box 39 here on Cone Radio 106.6 FM and this week we are going Dutch. So uh, we're listening right now to Wilhelm and the Orange Men's cover version of John Cage's 433. Now it's one of their demo tapes actually and very good isn't it? What do you think Mike? I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Ian, should we listen to a bit more? Yeah, go on then. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Now, unsurprisingly, Dutch is just as rich and colourful a language as English is. Uh, both languages share many similes, expressions and idioms. But there, there are also some marvellous idioms that the Dutch have, which we don't have in English. That's right. Now, one of Adrian's close friends and business associates from his Marmite smuggling business in Southeast Asia is a Dutchman called Jerome. And he's from Den Haag. And he has selected eight everyday idioms from the Dutch language, which he knows we don't have in English. And he knows this because, like many Dutch people, he speaks virtually flawless English. Take it away, Aid, and Jeroen. Okay, Jeroen, can we have our first Dutch language idiom, please? Nu komt de aap uit de mouw. Nu komt de aap uit de mouw. Thank you. Ian, how do you translate that? Um, my understanding is that in English, it is now the monkey comes out of the sleeve. Once again, now the monkey comes out of the sleeve. Mike, what do you think the Dutch idiom means? OK, so a visitor is coming round and you've hidden all the animals, but not the monkey. You've been caught short. <laughs> so you stuff the monkey inside your jacket and you're talking to the visitor. <laughs> <laughs> and the monkey comes out of the sleeve. <laughs> okay, Mike. Um, I, but that's not an idiom, then, is it? That's just literally something that happens with a monkey. <laughs> Only if you're wearing a jacket. Let me just for a poet. For a poet, I was hoping you might know what an idiom. An idiom <laughs> is a phrase that is understood to mean something quite different from what the individual worth of the phrase would imply. Oh. So it's like a metaphor. It's figurative, not literal. Isn't that correct, Bill? Yeah. The Dutch say. Now the monkey comes out of the sleeve. What do you think it means, Bill? I think it means like when you're slapped with a paternity suit and it turns out the child is yours. Or in a divorce case, everything's decided, everything is settled, then suddenly, as a monkey comes out of the sleeve, a revelation, a new bit of information, I think that's what that means. Yes, I've got it. Who is going to get custody of the monkey? (laughs) (laughs) And the jacket, of course. (laughs) No, Mike, there is no monkey. 
It's an idiom, and Bill is more or less right. <laughs> this idiom is used when the truth is revealed about a situation to someone. Well done. Right then, how about a second Dutch language idiom? Jeroen? Alsof er een engeltje over je tong piest. Alsof er een engeltje over je tong piest. Oh, that sounds good. Ian, what's your translation of that? Well, I could translate it as I think I heard it, but I'm going to use the correct English, which is as if a small angel pees on your tongue. Can I repeat that? As oh. if a small angel pees on your tongue. Mike, come on, it's an idiom, remember? Uh, an uh, idiom? Uh, idiom, yeah. Okay. Any ideas? Okay, so therefore this is a reference to Donald Trump. <laughs> And what happened in that Moscow hotel? <laughs> Vladimir Putin is holding something over Trump. Photographs. Or a video. One day we'll know the truth. No, Mike, that is not it. Bill, can you give us an idea? No. Remember, as if a small angel pees on your tongue. Well, what does I it think, mean? I think this is when you pick up a bottle or a glass of clear liquid, thinking it's water, take a swig, and it turns out to be meths or retzina or sambuca, and it's a nasty shock. Is that right? Uh, no, actually, it's not. It's quite the opposite. If a Dutch person says, as if a small angel pees on your tongue, it means that they absolutely love the food that they're eating. Well, that's very charming, isn't it? OK, then, Jeroen, we're ready for the third Dutch language idiom. What is it this time? Iets onder de knie hebben. Iets onder de knie hebben. Right, Ian, what's that in English? The English, it translates as to have something under your knee. Okay, shall I repeat that for you, Mike? Because you don't seem to be getting this. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, to have something under your knee. Shall I have a go at this knee? one? I'll have a go at this one. I think uh, it's when there's a family gathering and an uncle waits for a moment when no one is looking and he breaks wind on his nephew's face and he kind of wrestles them down, swings a leg over and, and, and if he gets the timing right, bosh, he just breaks wind right then, right in the face and walks away and no one in the family sees it. Uh, I would actually say, Bill, that that sounds rather literal rather than being an idiom. I had an uncle who did it all the time until I was in my mid-twenties. Oh, in my case, it was an aunt, not an uncle. And the family did see it, but said nothing. Good old families, hey. Anyway, well, it's uh, not the right anyway. But he was stronger than me. What could I do? <laughs> Fight harder. What about you, Mike? Come on, the Dutch idiom, to well, have something under your knee. What do you think it means? I think I'm getting it now. To have something under your knee means to have something on your shin or on your calf. No, 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 Mike. Oh, no. What the Dutch mean when you say to have something under your knee is that you have mastered something and know exactly what you're doing with it. Well, I can tell you my uncle knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, but we don't want to know that. Time for another one. Jeroen, what is the fourth Dutch language idiom you have for us? Weten waar Abram de mosterd haalt. Weten waar Abram de mosterd haalt. Great. How would you translate that into English? I want to answer it without translating it. I think the answer is Norwich. But anyway, in English, um, the, the phrase is to know where Abraham gets his mustard. Now then, Mike, I'm going to repeat that. To know where Abraham gets his mustard. Well, if it's about the Abraham in the Bible and being able to cite a particular verse where it talks about ancient Hebrew laws, about how and where to keep mustard, sorry... Questions about the Bible are lost on me. Maybe Bill knows. Well, I don't think it's about Abraham in the Bible. And I think the mustard represents any kind of condiment or food or whatever, really. It's about those massive hypermarkets, isn't it? Huge supermarkets, dozens of aisles, row after row. And you go walking in there and you know exactly where to go to get the mustard or the marmite or the piccalilli or uh, whatever it is. So no messing about. You just head for the right aisle, put it in the basket, take it to the till. You're almost there, I guess. To know where Abram gets his mustard, basically, this has nothing to do with food. It just means that you're well-informed about a certain subject. So it could be well-informed about the subject of where mustard is in Asda, if you see what I mean. And now for the seventh Dutch language idiom. Jeroen, what is it this time? Over koetjes en kalfjes praten. Over koetjes en kalfjes praten. 
Okay then, Ian, what's that in your actual English? To talk about little cows and calves. That's what it is. Come on, Bill. Does it mean mentioning the same thing twice? Because there are two words for it, isn't there? Little cows and calves are the same things in English, especially legal English. Uh, we've got things like uh, aid and abet, alter or change, cease and desist. Two words mean the same thing, but one is from Old English and the other's from Norman French. Lawyers will always charge for using... And I'm going to stop you there because that is an excellent answer. Bonus point for you, Bill, but not quite right. Mike. OK. Two farmers are standing at a gate looking at a field, of, uh, field full of calves. And then one of them notices that they aren't all calves. Right, and I'm stopping you there, Mike, because that is not an idiom. We've had this discussion. That is literally something that might happen with two farmers and the same cows. What the Dutch mean is to talk about little cows and calves, is to make small talk. As simple as that. We've got time for one more. Jeroen, what is our eighth and last Dutch language idiom? Ik zal dat varkentje wel even wassen. Ik zal dat varkentje wel even wassen. That's what it is in Dutch, Ian. What is it in English? Well, I'm not going to, because it actually means I will wash that little piglet. So, Mike, go on. OK, now I've got it. There are several pigs of various ages and sizes, and they are... <laughs> all of them are dirty. You're back to it again. You and... can stop there. Bill, oh. come on. Crack on. I'm not having this. I think it means uh, you'll take care of something and you get the job done. Correct. So, for example, you've got several pigs, you've got big ones, you've got little ones, and they're all dirty, the whole lot of them. And one of the, uh, one of the people with a cloth and bucket says, he'll take care of the little piglet and, and he'll get the job done. Exactly. Or as a Dutch person would say, Ik zal dat waak entia wel even wassen. Weet je nog dat jij me zei dat wij nooit zouden vluchten als een van ons? Loop door de regen en nooit maar kijk naar hoe het leven is in de zon. Weet je nog wat jij me zei, dat jij er altijd bent als ik je nodig heb? Nee, ik ben het niet vergeten, nee, dat jij me ooit hebt gezegd. Want ik zie dat jij het moeilijk hebt en niet meer lachen kan zoals je vroeger deed. En nauwelijks in de gaten hebt dat je anders loopt dan dat je deed voorheen. Weet je nog wat jij me zei, dat jij er altijd bent als ik je nodig heb? This is Top of the Dutch Charts in February 2020, and it's Suzanne and Freak, with a song whose title translates as We are sitting like herrings in a barrel, which means they are in a crowded situation and need a little cup of solace. The noisy party is making them feel like the small outside legs or even glued behind the wallpaper. Having not been to the Mediterranean that summer, they are both pale farts. But they are not ant screwers and both know where Abraham gets his mustard, even with a whistle of assent. So they used their leg vans. Problem solved. As I said before, Dutch is a very idiomatic language and these lyrics come across much better in the original language. Anyway, this is We Are Sitting Like Herrings in a Barrel. You're listening to Box 39 here on Cone Radio, 106.6 FM, and this week we're going Dutch. and I'm doling out the facts vis-a-vis the Netherlands' performance in the Eurovision Song Contest between 1957 and 2019. 
what, who, where, winners only. I would say Holland only, but that would be factually incorrect. It's not Holland, it's the Netherlands. Only the factually correct facts with Stato. The Netherlands has won the Eurovision Song Contest five times. Four facts in each case. That's 20 facts. And you're getting this from Stato. Ben toch je vrouw en ik eet uit je hand, maar ik eet niet van de bedeling. 1957 in Frankfurt in Germany. Corey Broken, forgive my pronunciation, I only speak Stato, not your actual Dutch. She sang Net Al's tune and she won. <laughs> Ik wou dat je hart een kast was met een deurtje En dat ik kon kijken in het interieurtje Dan moest je oprecht zijn Goed of slecht, maar echt zijn En dan zei je al gauw Als ik vroeg, ben je trouw 1959, in Cannes, in France Teddy Schlotten sang Een Bietje She won Zo boerdevol muziek, hij zong voor groot en klein publiek, hij maakte blij, melancholiek, de troubadour. 1969, in Madrid, in Spain, Lenny Kerr, she sang de troubadour, she won. Stockholm in Sweden, a band called Teaching. They sang Ding a Dong. They won. in Tel Aviv, in Israel, in Asia, not Europe, that's a fact. Duncan Lawrence sang Arcade and after a gap of 44 years, the Netherlands won the Eurovision Song Contest for the fifth time. This is Stato. Smell my facts. Oh, thanks very much for that, Stato. And that was a marvellous uh, amount of facts there. Great to have you on board once more. And for this, our 50th show. And uh, thanks also to Rotterdam's uh, Wilhelm and the Orange Men for the demo tape. Let's hear a bit more. It's very smooth, but, you know, I do miss the boys from girls from Alice Coming Exit. But anyway, while we're waiting for them to, to get their, uh, their convoy of uh, uh, acoustic motorbikes going in again and getting to us here in Cold Radio Towers, uh, what have you got next to keep us busy and to keep us going Dutch, Ian? Well, we're going to talk about sugar, rubber and colonial rivalry, so I'm hoping that you've prepared for this, fellas. You were warned. Yeah, yeah I'm ready. Yeah, Excellent. Been, been right, the good, good, good. Okay, let's crack on. So it's well known that the Dutch had huge colonial interests. Where? 
the Far East, of course. Yeah. That's right, and they had the biggest trading company the world had ever seen. Yeah, that's the Dutch East India Company, operating in modern-day Indonesia. Indeed it was, but perhaps less famously, the Dutch were also active in the Americas. The Dutch had the settlement of New Amsterdam, but it would be eventually, or it would eventually, become British. Yes, the British renamed it New York. Spot on, Mike. We got New Amsterdam and called it New York. Now... Harlem, the Bronx, Brooklyn, Wall Street, Staten Island, Yonkers, Coney Island. These are all names with Dutch origins. So we got what would one day become one of the biggest and most famous cities in the world. And we handed them Suriname in South America in return. Do you know, that sounds what the uh, British used to call a Dutch agreement, which meant a deal made while intoxicated. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me. The Dutch also possessed their small share of the Caribbean, Aruba, Bonaire and Curacao. Yep, that's ABC. Aruba, Bonaire and Curacao. The ABC Islands. You're repeating me. I am indeed. But the Suriname deal in South America did make some sense, as between 1630 and 1654, the Dutch ruled the northernmost part of Brazil. The rest of it was a Portuguese colony, and the Dutch named their part of the country New Holland, and its capital was called Moristat, or, as we know it now, Recife. And it was there the Dutch West India Company made its base. That's right, and poor old Brazil. Thanks to the bitter rivalry between the Portuguese and the Dutch, the Brazilian sugarcane industry declined, which meant what? What it meant was it left uh, open for Britain's sugar production to flourish in the West Indies. Indeed it did. And flourish it did. Anyway, 200 years later, the British sneaked an advantage again and decimated the Brazilian rubber industry. Now, this is the Sir Henry Alexander Wickham story, isn't it? It is, because in 1876, Sir Henry returned to Britain with 70,000 rubber plant seeds, claiming them to be for scientific interest only. Oh, that's uh, like the Japanese catching whales in their thousands for scientific interest only. Well, I mean, which book was that in, Mike? One of my other books. <laughs> yeah, 2,700 seeds germinated and were shipped to the British colonies in Southeast Asia, where a rubber industry flourished to the greater glory of Her Majesty's Empire. Precisely 2,700. Well, that's what the book said. Okay. Uh, we like facts on this programme. Very good. I have it on good authority that Sir Henry Alexander Wickham is the great-grandfather of our very own Lord David Price. That wouldn't surprise me either. And put it mildly, the Brazilians were not happy with that man. In fact, they labelled him a biopirate, the world's first. Another British innovation? Yeah, I'd say that. And Peru, which also lost its rubber industry in this way, claimed that Sir Henry's theft was the greatest act of biopiracy of the 19th century and maybe in all of history. But Mike, what's this got to do with camulogenum? Well, I uh, can't make a connection between the pronunciation of um, colonial camulogenum. (laughs) And what I would like to add to this bit, Bill, both you and I have been inhabitants of a certain Wickham Road at one point or another of our lives. On the basis of the biggest biopirate ever, why aren't the houses swankier? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what. We can discuss that down (laughs) the pub later, can't we? Okay, let's move on. Investigate the Frisian language. What language is most closely related to English? Well, some people would say the Frisian language. Or maybe I should say the Frisian languages, in the plural. Anglo-Frisian is a sub-branch of the West Germanic languages. It consists of the Anglic languages, English and Scots, or you can think of this as just English if you want, and the Frisian languages a group of closely related languages that developed from Old Frisian. Old Frisian and Old English were very close to each other, but that doesn't mean that Frisian and English are mutually intelligible today. English has changed dramatically due to contact with other languages like Norman French, and the various varieties of Frisian have been influenced by Germanic languages in their respective regions. The most widely spoken Frisian language by far is West Frisian, which is spoken by over 450,000 people, mainly in the Friesland province of the Netherlands, where it's co-official with Dutch at the provincial level. Then there's North Frisian, spoken in parts of the state of Schleswig-Holstein in northern Germany. It's spoken by fewer than 10,000 people and is considered endangered. 
Here are the numbers 1 to 10 in West Frisian. Ian, Twa, Treya, Fjauer, Fief, Sois, Sohn, Acht, Njogen, Zien. Here is a man speaking in West Frisian. Hoe je de takkomst? Zullen het in de wereld beter worden? Slimmer worden? Geliet blijven? Wat zei de Bibel? Wat zal hem alle trainen nu de egen vaaien? En de deur zal er net meer wijzen. It may sound to you a lot like Dutch. But it is just as incomprehensible to a Dutch person as it is to you. West Frisian is a language that shares much in common with English, but that also shares a lot in common with other Germanic languages, sometimes seemingly more so than with English. But don't make the mistake of thinking that West Frisian is a dialect of Dutch, or that the other varieties of Frisian are dialects of German. They are distinct languages that are worthy of recognition and preservation. In 1940, the Dutch weren't really prepared for the type of war that Hitler had in store. The country had been neutral during World War I and hoped for the same this time around. The prospects for this were bleak. On 10th of May 1940, Germany invaded the Netherlands. The fighting lasted all of five days. The Dutch might have held out for longer, but the Germans carpet-bombed Rotterdam, leaving tens of thousands homeless and threatening to do the same to other Dutch cities. The Dutch government fled to England, followed by the royal family, all except for Queen Wilhelmina. Not for nothing did Churchill call her the only true man in the Dutch government. Only with the surrender of the Dutch armed forces did the Queen herself escape by British naval frigate to England. The BBC immediately helped set up Radio Orange to broadcast messages back to the occupied Netherlands. From the start, the Germans were ruthless in their treatment of anyone who resisted their occupation. The Queen in exile faced a dilemma, how to save civilian lives by discouraging foolhardy resistance, but without thereby appearing to encourage passive collaboration. In her early broadcasts, the Queen could not have known how ruthlessly Germany would attempt to Nazify the Netherlands and cleanse it of its Jewish population and she probably did not calculate the assistance of the Dutch police in the regular roundups of Jews for deportation and the assistance of the Dutch railways in the transportation of over 100,000 Jews onto death camps in Poland. Many young Dutchmen, nicknamed the English sailors, tried to sail to Britain in makeshift boats to freedom but to prepare for the battle for liberation that lay ahead. Some landed safely on English shores, many did not. This slight hope of escape disappeared once the Germans began constructing their fortified Atlantic Wall along the North Sea coast. It became a militarised, prohibited area. Signs warned that trespassers would be shot dead. And so, many who were trapped and unable to escape turned their energies instead to active underground resistance at home. One such individual was Leo Freda, a 17-year-old Jewish schoolboy. Rather than passively wear the yellow star, he obtained forged identity papers and he resisted. Not passively, but ferociously. He engaged in the assassinations of high-profile Dutch traitors. It was a risky business. Firing a gun accurately, even at close range, took skill and practice. And the few old guns the resistance could lay its hands on often failed to work when most needed. In the summer of 1943, Leo was betrayed and captured. 
repeatedly tortured, he was executed by firing squad two months later. He was just 20. His capture and death made the front page of all the newspapers. For the Germans, he had been a prize catch. And on a serious note, for once, the character that has just been spoken about, Leo, is the subject of a book written by my older brother, Lawrence Tallentire, and is available by order from all good booksellers. This is Tabitha and she's got a top 10 hit in February 2020 with this song which translates as he has butter on his head. It comes from the expression he who has butter on his head should stay out of the sun. She loves him though, sometimes she even becomes Spanish breathless. He spends all day playing his part in the purple crocodile for which he is paid with monkey coins and although it's no sliced cake he certainly doesn't get to distribute the sheets. But when he's with her, he just wants so much to make her smell a fart. And he's always the one to wash the little piglet, which she appreciates. They like nothing more than to have a little apple to peel with each other. It sounds much better in the original Dutch, and, and that's no doubt why it's top of the charts over there. <laughs> Okay, I'm out here on the streets of Jogjakarta here in Indonesia on behalf of Cone Radio. In fact, exclusively on behalf of Cone Radio. And I'm just thinking, you know, the Netherlands, it colonized this country for 400 years. So I'm going to go out now and I'm going to talk to some young Indonesian people and ask them what do they think of the Netherlands football team. Hello, what about you? Uh, what do you think of the Netherlands football team? I think that the Netherlands football team are a much better team compared to Indonesia. They have great players such as Van Dijk, Depay and so on. And what about you? Well, I'm not a huge fan of football, but I only know like Manchester, Chelsea, Barcelona team, so I don't really know about the Netherlands team. Excuse me, uh, what do you think of the Netherlands or, or the Netherlands football team? I would say their style is kind of bland because they really lack the pace to compete with other European giants in the current inter international scene. Hello there, you're a young Indonesian. Uh, I'm here on behalf of Cone Radio. What do you think of the Netherlands football team? I don't know. I don't actually like or know much about football. But eh, I think they're okay, actually. I hope our team goes national, though. Hello there. Hello. You're from Jogja, right? You're Indonesian. What do you think of the Netherlands football team? If someday I ever get a chance to study abroad, the country that I would have to choose is the Netherlands. It could be in Amsterdam or Groningen. 
The Netherlands colonised your country for 400 years. Now, what do you think about their football team? I'm going to tell a story of mine which happened about six years ago. In elementary school, I dated this girl I liked and we lasted about two years until junior high. Anyway, so as you can see, there's a whole wide range of views down here. So I'm handing back to you uh, in Wivenhoe. Uh, hello and sweet greetings here from Jogjakarta. times have England and the Netherlands played each other in football, Mike? Well, you'd uh, think it might be more, but only 22 times. England have won six, the Netherlands seven, while the nine other matches ended as a draw. Tell me, which were the most, or which was, the most momentous of these matches? Well, the most memorable meeting between the two sides came during the Euros of 1996, when they had to win against the Dutch tournament hosts to reach the quarterfinals. England won 2-0. <laughs> not, <laughs> not so memorable for the Dutch team then. <laughs> the Netherlands' most famous win against England, 2-0, prevented England from qualifying for the 1994 World Cup. Well, that's not the only World Cup we didn't qualify for, though, was it? Ah, but in fact, both nations have endured the embarrassment of failing to qualify for World Cup finals. England failed to reach the finals in 74 and 78, as well as missing the 1994 World Cup, courtesy of the Dutch. And what about them? The Netherlands suffered global embarrassment by crashing out during the World Cup qualifiers in 2018. They did, didn't they? And I've got an email here from PSV Andy Hoofen in southwest, uh, southeast, sorry, Wivenhoe. And he asked, does Mike have a little-known fact that might be specially interesting for our Essex listeners? Indeed I do. In 2017, Harrigan Parks and Football Club was presented with a certificate by the Pioneers Football Clubs, certified by the FA, to say that it had been officially recognised that their away match against Royal Antwerp in 1892 was the first match ever to be played between an English and a European team. Oh, fancy that. Now, the one thing we've not spoken about is uh, the England women versus Netherlands That's women. right. The two most notable games between the two women's teams were in the European Cup semi-finals. In 2009, England won 2-1 after extra time. In the 2017 semis, Netherlands knocked out England 3-0 and defeated Denmark in the final to win the trophy for the first time. Well, do you know, I want to hear some more birdies. And now I appreciate why Ian and Mike, my co-hosts, have been wearing these shorts, because they're doing the birdie dance. So if you follow us on Twitter or Facebook, the pictures of Ian and Mike doing the birdie dance in their shorts will be going up soon. And I reckon we're going to melt the internet. Hang on, I've got to stop that. Hang on. Uh, my phone's vibrating. I think this could be the news, guys, that we've been waiting for. That's a text from Ausgang Exit. Come in. Oh, there you are. Finally. The show is almost over. Set up over there. That was quick.
just amazing, boys. How's Gang Exit after all these years? Absolutely yeah. blown it away. And they, they've, they've smashed that one. So that was How's Gang Exit, everyone playing their cover version of Hocus Pocus, the most famous hit by Focus, which, of course, were arguably the most uh, internationally famous rock band to ever come out of the Netherlands. Thanks, uh, Ausgang exit. And I'd just like to say at this point, tonight, the 50th edition of Box 39, uh, we'll be presenting the 30th edition of our sister show, Red Button, after this at 9pm with uh, one of our favourite guests, Bob May, who'll be talking about the music scene in Colchester. And Guppy Productions would like to thank all the people who have made this possible over the years now, all the people we've interviewed, all the guests we've had, all the people we've have claimed... Uh, we're sending texts and writing emails. And last but not least, we'd like to thank Justin, the Colden Radio student manager, station manager, for his unflagging support, and Dave and Heather Purdy as well for their support, and in fact, the whole of the board of Colden Radio. <laughs> feeling all right and everything is uptight trying to sing a song that goes ding ding a dong there will be no sorrow when you sing tomorrow and when you walk along with your ding ding dong now you know it's become quite normal it seems to sneer at the 1970s and unlike the 1975 dutch eurovision song contest winners teaching you may think no or may not think that singing ding ding a dong or walking along with your ding ding dong is the answer to all our problems but their hearts were in the right place. The 1970s was a time of strong community and the narrowest inequality of wealth Britain had ever seen. It was the 1980s that saw the laying down of those white phosphorus munitions that claimed there is no such thing as society. Well, our communities survived all that. Our communities are resilient. If what it takes to achieve this is to sing Ding Ding A Dong or to walk along with your Ding Ding Dong in 1975 Dutch styly, so be it. So, this evening we have been going Dutch, but for you and for ourselves, our time is up. Tonight, here, high up in Cone Radio Towers, we shall say farewell to you in the West Frisian language. Favol. 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 Listen, listen, what I've got. I've got a leak from a recording studio in Amsterdam. This is the Dutch Eurovision Song Contest entry for 2020. And this has, this has never been heard before. Listen to this. Somebody sent me a tape. Nu komt de aap uit de mouw. Ik zal dat varkentje wel even wassen. Over koetjes en kalfjes praten. Iets voor een appel en een ei kopen. Iets met de Franse slag doen. Weten waar Abraham de mosterd haalt. Iets onder de knie hebben. Alsof er een engeltje over je tong piest. (laughs) 